video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to Hello, watch. my name is Justin LeClure, and I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. And we're now from our homes again because, hey, the virus is all over the place, even though it's everywhere. This is our hundredth episode. This is. Woo, 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 woo. How will it be different, Mark? How, how have, have we been changed? Well, for our hundredth episode, we've made the, you know, special decision to go back to recording this thing remotely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was definitely a hundredth episode choice. The much more frustrating and more unsatisfying version of recording podcasts. Yeah. No, we were, you know, we were initially planning on going all out for our hundredth episode. Like we wanted to shoot something, like a little another little video. Unfortunately, the new variant of coronavirus is just messing up everybody's plans, and we at the store are going back into a curbside only kind of situation starting next week and just with the rising cases figured it might not be the safest time to be doing an in-person uh, podcast recording where we're you know spitting our germs into each other's faces but we are so dedicated to bringing you the fans oh, all yeah. hundreds of you the good <laughs> stuff that we're gonna continue on with talking about the notable blu-rays and dvds every week so Let's start at the beginning uh, with Krampus, the naughty oh, cut. Oh, 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 <laughs> He's here. We managed to... Oh, Santa's here. Oh, Santa. We... I don't hope you didn't bring your anti-vax views like you did last week. We're still celebrating, you know, holiday releases. So this is probably the biggest one of the year, right? Yeah, people like Krampus. I like Krampus. I wasn't sure what the naughty cut was supposed to entail. And I did watch it. It's uh, added a bunch of deleted scenes into the movie and a few shots of gore during like the one big creature sequence of the film. Yeah, yeah. I actually watched this last night, too. And because this has kind of become a perennial staple around my household, it's I just really, really love this movie. And I it's kind of bizarre because I wasn't a huge fan of Michael Dougherty's first film, Trick or Treat. I, I felt, enjoyed it, but I didn't love it like other people. Yeah, did. I remember being really psyched for it when it came out and then just kind of I don't know, coming away generally disinterested. So with this one, I was a little bit hesitant going in, but I saw it back in theaters when it first came out uh, with my partner. We both loved it. And since then, it's just become kind of a holiday staple. And we've, wa- we've watched it two or three times since. So we, I got the naughty cut as soon as it came out. We watched it last night and it looks fantastic. I mean, I'd say it even looks better than the Blu-ray that I previously had. But yeah, in terms of the ad- additional footage, I can't say I really noticed much of a difference they added one major deleted scene where the two sisters talk about where they are in their lives and i think it actually works in breaking stuff up krampus is a kind of fascinating movie in that it's weirdly structured where all the like creature and horror stuff happen in the last 25 minutes exactly right it really yeah like back end and it's a, a weird structure i don't know why it's that way like you get like 15 creatures all at once. It's weird that they don't like, you know, slowly start to build up through the movie. I guess that's just what my, what Michael Doherty likes. I think it just, it works for me because it does become this sort of like all out assault in the last 20 minutes. Whereas in the, I think what I really like about it is that it does bridge that gap between like Christmas vacation, kind of like dysfunctional family comedy with like, a gremlins-esque sort of like creature feature thing um and then it also has the really like i think it's got a really great critique of just you know how capitalist and like bullshit christmas has become over you know the last several decades uh more so than anything else even like you know a jingle all the way or whatever it's got like i mean the opening scene alone the slow-mo like 
basically like black friday massacre that happens it's just great it sums it up perfectly and i think it's just like for me a lot of the horror just comes out of the social the social situations first so that when you get this barrage of creatures at the end it just feels like this natural sort of uh i don't know continuation of like all these like bad sort of vibes that were festering throughout the entire movie already so i don't know it just it really works well for me every time i watch it it just gets better and better i just really really love this i think it's an excellent screenplay and watching this version the naughty cut like every character pretty much gets a payoff that before they die so it's not you know i remember when i saw it for the first time i think it was a little bit befuddled by the fact that it seems like the characters have very little control over what's going on because the threat is so un kind of like um defeatable yeah it's almost like a mist kind of thing where it's just like yeah it's it, you it's so vague for so much but of it there's just enough and just enough victory and that like it hinges on a final decision that needs to be made that it works for me and the ending um when you watch it you can think of it very pessimistically but i don't think the director meant it that way i really really love the ending because i feel like you can take it sort of a myriad of different ways i think the way it's meant to be um read is yes this is real and he's watching yeah like that's how it's because i you know david lindelof the um writer of like many terrible movies like prometheus yeah yeah and others uh he did lost he was a showrunner for a while he uh, did the Great Watchmen series, which I very much enjoyed. And at the end, there's a cutaway in the last episode before something happens. And he said in an interview, which was like, no, you don't see it. But of course it happens. Why would it, it not? Like, if it doesn't, that'd be very unsatisfying, wouldn't it? Yeah, right. So, like, that's the idea of, like, the Krampus ending where, you know, they could be trapped for eternity. But that makes no sense based on everything that you see. Exactly, exactly. But I think it's also kind of fun to think of it that way, too. I, I feel like any way you take it, it kind of just, like, it just really hits hits home at the end for me. I really love that ending. And this new uh, 4K Blu-ray release from Scream Factory has all the special features that were included on the original disc, which were very good, as well as a bunch of new interviews with, like, actors, with Michael Doherty, Richard Taylor, for anyone who's watched um, any Lord of the Rings special features, the great oh. new... Yeah. Zealand accented special effects guy does a zoom interview uh Allison Tolman shows up David Keckner uh yeah so it's real great and it's awesome that all these people came back to do uh even more stuff yeah it seems like everybody just had like a blast making this movie too which which I love to see um yeah I mean the cast is all great and there's a lot of like comedic actors in there who are gr- it's great casting because it's not necessarily comedic the whole way, but they can play the comedy bits and the serious bits like perfectly well. This really should become like a new holiday classic. I mean, I I feel like it is, right? I feel like it is, isn't it? It led to a hundred Krampus movies coming out, each one worse than the last. <laughs> I know, it's like the whole Robert, it's like Robert the Doll. They basically did a whole like Krampus So series. moving on, we have another holiday perennial, and that's Hell on the Shelf, right, Mark? I initially wanted to do this for Blind Buy this week because we had set that we were going to do a holiday Blind Buy, and this was kind of the only thing that came in that, you know, neither of us had seen. 
Uh, but, you know, your experience with the films of the Polonia brothers, the recent films of the Polonia brothers kind of, you know, indicated that this might not be the best choice. I was like, this is not going to be good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's impossible to even find like any info on this on IMDb. The last time I checked, there wasn't even an IMDb page, but the cover just sells it perfectly. You've just got a little elf on the shelf, dude, and he's just sitting there on the shelf with a big gleaming knife. And, you know, I'm there. I'm there. Man, our generation missed this elf on the shelf craze. That's didn't we? I don't really get it. Like, I've heard about it, but I don't really get it that much. And I, I assume you don't either. Why would you want an elf to be watching your kids at all time? That's awful. Um, but anyways, with this movie, um, they basically flub the whole premise of, you know, an elf on the shelf because the elf is like barely on. First of all, the elf doesn't look anything like the elf on the cover, which is super disappointing. <laughs> oh, it's no. like a really bland looking sort of like tree ornament sort of thing. So it's and not even like doll songs. Not re- it is a little bit, but it's just not at all like how it looks on the cover but it is a found footage film and you love it found is footage a films found footage film so basically it takes place in a house that's haunted and yeah sort of like an abandoned house they start by uh, doing interviews with this real estate agent who's been trying to sell it and she says anybody who stayed there is like left abruptly or been experienced hauntings so you get this ghost team that goes in with their cameras and everything so it basically takes one of those sort of like grave encounters sort of approaches where it's like a faux tv show where there's this like medium guy and his camera people and they go and explore this house the hilarious thing about this house though is it's supposed to be like an abandoned house right but it's clearly just like the filmmaker's house because they go through oh, definitely like mark polonia's house yeah that's the thing it's all like it's all fully furnished they go in a bunch of rooms where it's just like decked out with like dvds and blu-rays and like posters <laughs> yeah there's like posters of like cult horror movies everywhere and i'm like um, did this was this just left behind by the previous owners or like what's what's going oh, on? DVDs and Blu-rays. This must be many years ago that people lived in this house. <laughs> I know, right? They keep talking about the people that used to live here and the spirits, and I'm like, oh, the spirits have a pretty good uh, Blu-ray collection. I gotta say, I gotta say. But yeah, so basically, there is an elf and. It continually kind of move. It mostly just sits on a chair, really. So it's not even really on the shelf. And uh, it moves around. It's kind of your tip. I mean, the movie's like barely an hour long. I mean, long. it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. It's basically a really bore. I mean, it's kind of funny in a few moments here and there, especially with one guy. The um, the camera guy is just like a guy out of film school, and he doesn't believe in ghosts or anything. So he's kind of the skeptic. It's also funny because he wears all all he wears the whole time are just like shirts and ball caps with like horror paraphernalia so he wears like a nightmare on elm street shirt or like or a child's play 2 shirt so it's like okay dude you you like horror movies i I get it it's time for my found footage question does it end with all of them dying at the end yes it does (laughs) oh my (laughs) god they all just honestly i'm trying to even remember how they all die and it's like i watched this like a week or so ago and it's already like completely faded from my mind but yes i remember they all don't make it out it's like one of those things where like oh their footage was found sort of thing you know Ugh, terrible i wonder how much money can they be making off of a movie like they this must make some just based on the cover art alone like and i'm sure this will be on streaming right like all these movies eventually just go on vod and i think you know you just put this hell on the shelf cover on there on tubi or yeah something. Uh, to like be, and people mm. click on it like hey i would click on it i watched it just based on that yeah they got you they got me but i mean it doesn't even have like the laugh value as like your average robert movie does so it just 
I don't know. It's just so it's just too lazy. It's just too lazy for even me. Next up, we have Labyrinths of Cinema, and this is a release from Crescendo House, a new label. What? Another one? I know. Um, yeah, I don't know much about them. Let me check the notes. Are they owned by Kino and or Vinegar They Syndrome? aren't, as far as I know. They're, uh, yet, that is. I know they just like played a big part in bringing this monumental film to North America, um and of course have you for those, seen labyrinths of cinema Mark? i have yeah and this movie i thought is great <laughs> it is amazing for those of you who don't know it is the great nobuhiko obayashi's final film he was of course the director who made uh house or houseu um, the classic 70s horror film and he made tons of other stuff but like barely any of it has been released on on dvd or blu-ray in north america i've been I trying wonder to why that is i know because i have I, to be honest i haven't seen anything by him apart from house and this one just because of like lack of availability like criterion made such a big deal about it and the thing is almost all of his movies are in some ways like house i saw the french company spectrum is putting out the girl who leapt through time and school in the crosshairs which may indicate that maybe they'll be coming out of north america because it seems like something that arrow would jump on did he work for toho is that what what the issue is i'm not sure i figured you might know more about uh the problems with him than i do because yeah it seems so bizarre for a for a filmmaker who made something like house which I mean, House has become like such a defy, like it's just such a huge cult classic in the last like 10, 15 years, you know, ever since Criterion put it out that there for there to be no other interest in putting out his other work just seems so bizarre to me. I remember the Tiff Bell Lightbox at one point in Toronto put on a sort of retrospective of Japanese new wave stuff that included some of his films at one point. But like, it just seems like they're so hard to see. I'd love to just kind of make my way through his whole career, but it just doesn't seem possible. right? And now. so Labyrinth of Cinema was the last film that he made. It's a three plus hour epic. And he made it in his mid 80s and he was suffering from terminal cancer at the time. And it is the wildest film you will see this year if you check it out and have not seen it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like talk about a final statement, right? He really throws like everything but the kitchen sink at this movie. And like you have never seen a film like this that like it will be going down a path and then it'll take a discretion for five minutes then come back to what was happening and it definitely seems to like just be about the whole history of cinema in general as well as just like a personal statement from himself and his own love of movies and it just goes in an anti-war an anti-war uh, movie tracked. yep uh the effects are cr- i love the effects work in this like he uses i guess some people would say deliberately shoddy looking effects maybe but it really just enhances sort of like the tactile nature of the whole thing it just feels like this wonderful sort of like homemade project uh come to life on this epic epic and it's an easy sell too for people who are like but what is the movie about a bunch of uh teenagers go see a screening of some war movies during the last day of a cinema and get sucked into the screen that's it that's it that's what happens they spend like three hours just like rampaging through various war movies and the like and it's just great it's just like it basically just assaults your eyeballs for like three hours in the best possible way. If you look away for like a minute, you'll be like, hey, wait, what's going on now? When you I know back. you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. But um, yeah, really surprised. Really love this movie. Glad to glad that at least his final statement has been put out. And in such a nice addition too. it's like, well, uh, the steelbook. I'm not a big fan of that. Like the one I got is already like dented. Oh, is it like, really? Uh, yeah, I didn't really. Yeah. I mean, despite the potential denting of the steelbook book 
it looks nice. It's a nice looking special edition and it comes loaded with it, stuff. It is a right? nice looking special edition. The second disc has a great hour long fly on the wall documentary of just him filming uh, the movie. And you see like the special effects were like very well thought out. Like there's some like um, CGI, like green screen flames at one point, And they had cut out like flame shaped cardboard thing that they put on set to like indicate where they would be, which I found fascinating. And there's also a very moving interview with his widow where she speaks about like for 30 minutes about the movie and how he felt while he was making it and what she hopes his impact will be on the history of cinema. So great. Oh, that's stuff. great. That's great. Yeah. I would say if, if you're a fan of house and you've always wanted to kind of check out his other stuff, this is honestly as good a place to start as any, because it does kind of offer up a summation of his entire I am career baffled I guess. by people's love of steel books. Like I see people on forums being like, Oh, I wish this was in a steel book. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh man, we get asked that all the time at the store for like regular releases of things. Do you have this in a steel book? And if we don't, they don't want it too. Like they don't look good on shelves. I guess maybe once you've started collecting them though, you just want all of them to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I actually own any steel books. I might, I might have escaped so far without having any steel books because I don't have this Labyrinth of Cinema release yet. But so the next movie we have is Freud released from Kino. Is this a 1962 John Huston film? It is. Yeah. And you know, Freud, I, the secret passion. Wait, did you watch this? I did not watch this, but I, I'm intrigued. I just didn't have time. But two hours and 20 it's so minutes long. But I've just always been fascinated by this movie because it did. Its genesis was that uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, of course, the famous famous existentialist uh wrote the screenplay for this initially but it was like heavily rewritten and redone because they just didn't like his basically his too esoteric version of this movie so but you can buy his original screen like i have a copy of his original screenplay that i've been meaning to read for years and this movie just had never been released on any sort of format are you a jean-paul sartre head i i do love jean-paul sartre i will say really? i took a lot of i did not know that yeah i took a lot of philosophy classes in high school and university i was just always drawn to it and i was more i was drawn to the existentialist stuff a little more because you know i was like a i was like a brooding dark teenager so i thought you know which isn't really what existentialism is like anyway but you know that's what my thought process was back then i got really into jean paul Sartre stuff um you know i have a copy of being in nothingness that i've been slowly working my way through for years because it's a dense 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 read but uh, i've read a bunch of his other stuff and i was just always fascinated by the fact that he wrote this screenplay based on another sort of like titan in the sort of like or based on a titan in the uh psychology sort of like world and it never really got made the way i would have loved to see it get made the way he wrote it initially but the fact that it's even out here at all it's definitely something i'm going to check out at some point. i was amazed that when my uh grandmother passed away on my mom's side her mother that she had stacks and stacks of philosophy books in french jean-paul sartre and like clearly she had been reading them recently which she, there was no indication of that as a person, but I'm a kid, right? You're meeting your grandmother. She's just like a classic grandmother, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she actually communicated with one of my cousins uh, letters near the end of her life. And she talked about how she would try to read a book every week. She just wanted to keep learning. That's really cool. So I found that super fascinating. That's what I think of when Jean-Paul Sartre, I never actually read any of his work because ugh, come on, man. His stuff is very, very bleak. You know, I mean, I think the first book of his I read was nausea, which is basically just like, it's a fictional book about, a guy who just like basically wakes up every every day with like overwhelming nausea just because he can't handle like the 
just the the his own existence you know i'm more of a uh alain rob griet kind of guy the new novel which are just long descriptions of uh, places <laughs> that's <laughs> i fair. gotta admit that's the one thing I'm joking because I cannot visualize when people describe spaces for pages and pages. I'm like, ah, it's too hard for me. What? Give me something. <laughs> Why? Give me some of that. Uh, I'm trying to think of the most base book that you can read. Uh, Jack Reacher, you know. Yeah, it's some, some of that Lee Child that. action there. Yeah, please. Lee Child action. <laughs> Freud. Now that I read about it, that sounds like something I want to watch. A little long, two hours and 20 minutes, but Montgomery Clift is in it. I've never heard anyone talk about it before. I'm intrigued. And, you know, John Huston made it in the 60s when his, you know, output was... A little bit more committed to what he was doing. Exactly, right? And I, I'm always interested in, you know, a lesser lesser heralded John Huston directorial project. You know? Are you? Well, I mean, we watched, uh, what, Reflections in a Golden Eye for the blind buy at one point. And that was a, you know, I didn't say I love that, but I, it was a fascinating watch. I remember reading a bio by an assistant director that he worked with, and he said that on Annie, like, John Huston would just, like, read the newspaper for most of the day. <laughs> like, what a legend. Like, completely uncommitted to what was going on. What an absolute legend. So, <laughs> next up, we have The Long Goodbye does this it just keeps getting released doesn't it yeah i mean we don't have to talk long about this um it basically got so it was on blu-ray from kino before but now they've released it again as a special edition because it's a new remaster apparently it looks way better than the initial blu-ray and yeah it's got i think it's got some more special features although i could be wrong it's got a nice new uh Nice new slip cover on it, too, which I'm sure will make the uh, collectors happy. I actually like the image that they put on it because it's the Mad Magazine. Uh, it's the artist. I don't remember what his name is, but he worked for Mad. And he did like the Long Goodbye uh, theatrical poster. And that's what they slapped on And it's there. nice. Yeah. And I just, for one, this is probably my favorite Robert Altman movie. Uh, it's just always stuck with me throughout the years. I did a big binge of Altman films at one point years ago. And this one just really, really did it for me. Love Elliot Gould in this. And yeah, I never picked up the original Blu-ray. So this is... I'm kind of glad I waited. I actually don't own this movie on Blu-ray, so I should probably pick it up because I do like it. But, you know, I'm a real uh, Robert Altman head. I'm all about, like, O.C. and Stiggs, the National Lampoon <laughs> oh, movie okay, made. okay, okay, sorry, Quintet, yeah. the Paul Newman um, sci-fi film. Did you see that one? That one's wild. I still have... That's the thing. I, I, I'm I a faux Robert uh, Altman We've had fan. this conversation. I, I didn't, I didn't binge, <laughs> I didn't binge his it. lesser known... Yeah, I didn't binge his lesser known stuff enough. But that's next. I definitely will go down that road. Next up, we have... Two Jean-Claude Van Damme films, Street Fighter from Mill oh, yeah. Creek in a steel book. No, thank you. Toss it in the garbage. Yeah, let's talk about those steel <laughs> and books. Hard Target <laughs> finally getting a proper special edition Blu-ray release and 4K. Exactly. Well, just to, as a f- disclaimer, the 4K release of Hard Target has been held up slightly because... Surprise, surprise, there is an issue with the 4K discs. Some They're sort having of audio. a lot of issues with those 4K discs, aren't so they? so much. So it's an audio issue, so they've got to remaster it. They'll be coming soon. But the Blu-ray is unaffected and contains all the same special features, same restoration, same cut. So we've gotten the Blu-ray copies in. We're just waiting on the 4Ks. A little disappointed nobody can scrounge up like the ultimate sort of like extended violent cut of hard target, Well, that was right? always a work print. It was a throw everything into it. I understand. So I don't think that was like John Woo's original vision. Yeah, that's fair. I just wish somebody would include it somewhere. I mean, it is insanely over the top and you can understand why they cut it down. It's insanely over the top. Yeah, exactly. But I've always loved Hard Target. Of course, it's, you know, John Woo's first American film. And yeah, it's just it combines his form of mayhem with that Jean-Claude Van Tam ass kickery that we all know and love. And it's just fun. You know, it's, I mean, it's obviously just like a riff on most dangerous game, which they did like a thousand billion times in the nineties, but 
I think it's one of the best ones alongside, you know, I think (laughs) the best. I think that it is an amazing movie, especially for a debut from John Woo. Like it could have gone wrong in so many ways or he could have been like overshadowed by uh, the studio, which I know that he fought with a lot. But he says in the interviews that like Sam Raimi was completely on his side and that like Jean-Claude Van Damme tried to do an edit of the film and Sam Raimi was furious and like got completely on John Woo's well, side. Well, that's awesome. I'm really happy to hear that Sam Raimi stood up for for Mr. John Woo there. Even though I do think that the ending was still shot by Sam Raimi when Lance Henriksen, uh, the grenade is dropped in his pants. That's what the myth, maybe they talk about it. There's a commentary with Mike Leader and another fellow. So maybe that comes up. But I'd be curious to know, like, I mean, if John was talking about it, he's probably comfortable at this point in his career that, like, it wasn't butchered or completely taken out of his hands. Yeah, I think it's like people have come around to it now. I mean, I don't think it was it kind of fell off once Face Off came out and people sort of considered it lesser John Woo. But I feel like people have come around to it really heralded it as one of the better like 90s action films in general at this it's point. got a great wilford brimley performance as well it does totally does and yeah lance henriksen's great as the bad guy you get arnold Vuzlu in there oh, too. he's so much fun in it um who i'm always a big fan of uh yeah just good times all around you know van damme rocking that mullet hardcore just kicking ass motorcycle sequence is great i just i love it yeah i I haven't watched it in years and i'm saving it i'm gonna watch it with my brother and my dad when i go visit them for the holidays because me and my brother for years we quoted the scene where like the um, one of the guys is being most dangerous game and he bumps into sam raimi uh ted raimi yeah and ted raimi's like i got no change man (laughs) we would just quote that line to ourselves over and over again great line and I remember once walking down the street and two people in front of me were talking about Ted Raimi going, I ain't got no change. So it's a universal <laughs> phenomenon. It's a, it really is. It really is. And Street Fighter, Jean-Claude Van Damme won. Now, I didn't pick this up and Mark is like, I'm very surprised, Justin. And I said, hey, Mark, I'm sorry. 88 Films put out a better special edition of this sorry, like a year I ago than I picked that up. region player. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. Um, I might pick this up myself because... Oh, it's got I a need... bison buck in it. Someone told me this. It does. So, yeah, Mill Creek... So, Street Fighter was on Blu-ray in North America before, just like a regular one from Universal. But, yeah, Mill Creek is seems like they've gone the extra mile for this which they usually don't for any of their releases um but yeah they put it in this real nice steelbook packaging i mean regardless of what you think about it i mean the artwork's not i like the artwork yeah on they it. commissioned a new cover looks good yeah. uh yeah the bison bucket it's hilarious got a bunch of special features although maybe they were just ported over does it have a bunch of special features i'm trying to look one. here it does have a bunch this of is special the problem features when we're doing it remote is i can't not. just pick up the blu-ray and look at the back yeah there's definitely a bunch of special features listed oh yeah but... they're the ones that um were ported from the dvd so there's like a commentary, outtakes, deleted scenes, yeah, and a few I features. I just I have a real soft spot for this movie. I mean, I know it's a mess. I know it doesn't capture the spirit of the Oh, wait. You know what? I am wrong. They did get new interviews with Stephen E. D'Souza, Damien Chapa, oh, Graham go. Ravel. I don't know if this is from uh, like the 88 Films release or if this is new stuff. But, may, you know, considering they put a bison buck in it, maybe it's new stuff. Ooh, did Mill Creek hire somebody who's like, listen, we're going to try to do new stuff. This could be an exciting new, um, you know, horizon for Mill yeah, Creek. Yeah, new year for Mill Creek. I like it. But uh, yeah, this is a pretty stellar release. If you didn't already pick up a Blu-ray of this. Do you like Street Fighter, though? Of course I do. I got a, I got a real straight, real soft spot for it. I know. I think it's a ton of fun. And for years, it was like, this is awful one star. Yeah. It's not. And I mean, I get like on the surface, you know, it looks bad. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme playing, you know, a super American character is like a joke oh, but it's so itself. committed 
to its premise in a way that something like Mario Brothers is exactly. not. And I remember Stephen E. D'Souza always saying like he meant to create this sort of like cheesy Saturday morning cereal kind of vibe with it. Yeah, like they were yeah, in on the and joke. I think that like they knew totally what they were comes doing. across, especially in the performances of, I mean, Van Damme was cranked out on like Coke the entire time making this. So, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll chalk his performance up to that. But Raul Julia as Bison is so good. I is mean, his so final good. role and he's so good. That, like, uh, mythical, legendary line where he's like, oh, the day your family died? Well, basically, he goes on, yeah, this big speech about how, like, how horrible and traumatic it was for them. And it was like, but for me, it was a Tuesday or something like that. It was a Tuesday. And he just says it so... Oh, I love I that. It's I from, think about that all the time, yeah, I know, even though I get the day wrong. I used wrong. to quote that line all the time to each other back in the day. Uh, and, yeah, no, you know what? been a while i'm due for a rewatch on this because it's been a while and now you know too much van damme this week i gotta pick up this hard target and this i remember when i wrote my letterbox review and i was like oh this movie's great it's so much fun people were like how could you say that so there's still some people who are hanging on to like street fighter so i mean i totally get that maybe it doesn't if you're a hardcore fan of the game it doesn't maybe capture what you want but I don't know. When it comes to video game adaptations, I'm not really judging it against what the game was like. I just want to just want it to be an entertaining movie. And for me, this movie entertains. What I told people who were like, oh, I don't like this. Uh, I responded with, listen, people like the movie Megaforce, which is the bad version of Street Fighter. That movie's so dull. Uh, like Street Fighter does it right. So, you know, I can appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I think we can all look back and appreciate that. Vinegar Syndrome bad. had a slate of new releases that have hit the store. And we're talking about one of them. It is Clint Howard's Ticks. Ticks. Yeah, Clint howards indeed he's got a very memorable role in this i'd actually never seen this until this week when i finally put it on wanted to for years but it's one of the kind of quintessential 90s creature features i feel like it's i don't good. hear many people talk about it when i was like a horror fan like it didn't come up that often which uh, surprising considering how much stuff there is in it exactly right i remember olive put it out on dvd and blu-ray several years ago which has since gone out of print um and it got a bit of like a revitalization then people were talking about it but uh the cast is great first of all and i mean if you want to see seth green and uh carlton from fresh prince on screen together sharing a bunch of scenes then carlton being a tough eat your yeah eat your heart out yeah carlton is playing a tough in this and it is hilarious to watch real fun stuff and yeah it's basically your typical creature feature meets slasher movie thing where a bunch of like you know youths go out with a social services program to like you know do wilderness stuff and there's a new you know it's like a marijuana grow up they're using this fertilizer and it you know mutates the ticks into ridiculous things and the ticks also cause people to hallucinate when they bite them and there's a giant tick at the end that burst out of someone. Oh, yeah. The effects are incredible in this It's movie. weird that, like, Anchor Bay never put this one out as a special edition DVD back in the day. Because it seems like one of those. Yeah, it's bizarre, right? Like, I don't know if it was on DVD at all before Olive put it out. I feel like it was just on VHS. And then it took forever for it even to come out after that. Directed by Tony Randall. Who, exactly. Who uh, yeah. did Hellraiser 2. And he did, like, a Fangoria-produced, like, Children of Darkness vampire film that people don't talk about very much. It's okay and now uh directs and edits like dog-based christmas movies oh i know right yeah his career went south but that's okay that's okay vinegar syndrome release did you guys just get the normal release or did you get the big 4k box set? so we got the big 4k release so I mean, it hilarious so it's like that'll be 60 dollars, please i know right and that's the thing it doesn't come with the slip cover or the boxes or whatever so oh, it doesn't come with you, the box okay no it basically just comes as like a regular like 4k case i want uh, vinegar you get all the syndrome features, just though, send you the so. big 
big ones. I know, Come man. on, VC. I know. It's a Do Phase Street fight. video. It's a uh, constant fight. It's because we get their stuff through another supplier because we don't go direct. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's been con- light contact, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, we're trying to work it out. I and mean, We want to essentially just buy direct from them for everything, which we were doing for their VSA uh, titles because those were sort of like a direct sale thing. But yeah, for all that, there's another supplier in Canada that basically has the rights to sell all their stuff. So we kind of are like legally forced to get them through them, but they don't get any of the slip covers or anything. So it's not great, but we're working on a We're working on a new like new situation for it. For Severin sure. has a bunch of releases. Speaking of exclusives that came out a couple months ago on their website, but are finally hitting store shelves. Yeah, it always happens with Severin. They release their stuff online, just like Vinegar Syndrome uh, a month or two before. You know what? I don't blame them. As somebody who has a small boutique Blu-ray label as well, it's easier to sell it to people. And then when stores want it, you're like, okay, because I have to sell it at cost at stores. So it makes them less money. Exactly. But for some reason, these first three, Endgame, Raiders of Atlantis, and Warriors of the Year 2072, took even longer to come to us than usual because they were first released back in the summer, I think, by Severin on their site. So it took a while, but they are here now. And I know you're Yeah, I'm a big fan of Raiders of Atlantis, Lethal Weapon meets Mad Max from the director of Cannibal Holocaust, a delight. Endgame from my guy Joe D'Amato and War of the Year 2072 is a Lucho Fulci film and it's okay. <laughs> That's what I'll say. <laughs> it's all yeah. right. It's fine. So I'm surprised that they didn't put this in a box set, but I guess Severin's like, those suckers, they're going to buy it. They're, you know, if they buy one, they'll get them all. And I got to say that Severin, I don't know, am I going to become a Jess Franco on physical <laughs> media guy? I I, I don't want to be, but I'm looking down and what's this? Black boots, leather whip, and the House of Lost Women are on my shelf? Oh no, not one of those. I think they're just on a mission to put out every single Jess Franco movie that hasn't already been put well, out. Well, I right? can put breaks on my Jess Franco consumption and say, if it's not a special edition, I ain't touching it. So like stuff that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that like Full Moon okay, puts okay, out. Yeah, I don't yeah need to those touch editions those are yeah. not very good anyway, right? No, they look fine. And I think there was some issue with this one of the releases that came out, which happens. Um, but I think like uh, one of these, The House of Lost Women is a drama so, uh, that Strad Severn put out. So I was like, ooh, that interesting. That one was the most interesting to me out of at least the Franco stuff they've put out recently, just because it seemed a little bit more... I don't know, a little bit more esoteric. Because when they do the sex stuff, I'm like, eh, yeah, all right. Like, right. You know, you've seen one. You've I mean, seen I like, out of, you know, out of those, probably like Macumba Sexual the most. And I feel like this one's giving me a bit of the vibes of that. But I don't know. I could be totally and off base. what's this? Intervision's back. Woohoo! The Severn sub-label. And they put out The Masturbating Gunman, a film by Mark Savage, a filmmaker who doesn't get talked a lot about, even though that 15, 20 years ago, there was a big box set from, I remember the company now, Subversive put it out. Right. Yeah. Subversive I Cinema. I forgot don't about don't know them. who they are. I don't know where they went. Maybe they got absorbed or started a new company. Yeah. I don't think they exist anymore. I remember they did a lot of like nice DVD editions of like kind of obscure cult stuff, uh, but I don't And I don't now think. it all goes for very expensive. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. And The Masturbating Gunman was, I think, Mark Savage's second film. So that was something that was interesting about the box that they put out, which is like this one they skipped. And the reason for it was that it was funded by Japanese money. And that's why they, you know, moved past it. But now it's out on Blu-ray and it's super fun. Before it was cool, Mark Savage was 
doing like homages to Nikatsu kind of like pink era films. And that's what the Master Brandon Gunman is. The premise is it's a detective who figures stuff out by smelling panties, uh, has to find someone. And it's actually very amusing. There's some gore stuff. Listen to the commentary. It's really funny because Mark Savage is like, you know, I hadn't seen Story of Riccio, but someone had explained it to me. So that's why there's like guts being ripped out and stuff like that. Really, um, and Mark Savage talks about it on the commentary, like well made in a sense that they had no money. They shot it on like uh, mostly uh, DV beta. It looks pretty good though, and a little bit of uh, 16 millimeter. And you have this kind of like control over the scenes, like very well composed, like a Japanese film would be, which you don't expect from these kinds of films. And I was surprised looking into uh, what Mark Savage is doing these days. He is more busy than he has ever been, releasing almost like a film a year over the last five years, like DTV, like Australian action films. And he is the biggest Blu-ray fan. On his Facebook page, he posts like every few days, oh boy, these new Blu-rays are coming out. Oh, nice, nice. Cool. Yeah, I need to get more into him because I was fairly unfamiliar with him until this came out and he started telling me more. But uh, sounds right up my alley. I'm definitely down with this. There's got to be a Severin box set about Mark Savage that's coming down, right? Like they've got to because he has Mercenaries, uh, which was his first film. He has Sensitive New Age Killer and he has Defenseless. I think two of those were shot on VHS, so maybe that's kept from uh, Blu-ray companies from putting them out. But uh, InterVision, through uh, that label, they can do VHS stuff. And here's the thing, is that like the companies have realized people don't care if it's a VHS transfer on Blu-ray. Like Vinegar Syndrome's been doing it with their Saturn's Core label. Like no one is like, what? This is not on film? They don't care. Yeah, I think people are past that now. So, and I think Severin needs to bring that InterVision label back more. You don't often see it anymore. And I feel like i think they will because vinegar syndrome has uh started doing that stuff they're doing savage harvest next month oh, I'm exactly. very excited. yeah I love yeah, that yeah. Movie, you so. know agfa's been picking up a lot of that stuff i think there's like way more of an appetite for it now than there was even like 10 years or so ago when they started that also line. because they realized we have no more exactly it's done we, we just have to scour like... the sov like regional stuff and big time there's also a release this week of a movie that's never made it to dvd before premiering on Blu-ray for the first time. It is Alan Arkish's Get Crazy. Have you seen this movie, Mark? I never have. I remember they did a screening of it in Toronto um, yep, a few years ago. Uh, at the Blur. The Royal. At oh, the Blur. Royal, yeah. And I meant to go, and for some reason I couldn't. Um, but I always I wanted to see this. That was kind of the this first time. This movie is so film, much though. fun. I just watched it again yesterday after maybe a decade, and I had a delight. Alan Arkish, we were robbed of him not having a Joe Dante-like career. This movie is packed with so many gags in a different register than like a Zucker Brothers movie where it's like a lot of like Mad Magazine style silliness like um, you know they're patting down people for drugs and someone that comes in is a giant you know joint like just a guy in a giant joint costume with like red bloodshot eyes and he's wandering through the rest of the movie just like endless crazy gags and it's a labor of love it's about um a concert that happens on new year's eve malcolm mcdowell plays a mick jagger like figure daniel stern a favorite of yours which is why i'm surprised you haven't seen this movie is like the straight man of the movie the stage kind of like manager of the show great original songs in the film like just made up bands that show up just madness throughout and it's also a new year's eve movie so it's perfect to watch on new year's eve yeah no i will definitely check this out and this blu-ray is great there's a 75 minute 
five-minute documentary where everyone who's in the movie and is still alive is interviewed, directed by Alan Arkush. Um, and yeah, it's just a delight. They even got, like, there's a um, all-women uh, band that appears in the movie, Nada, and they got all of the people that are still around to shoot a new music video. Like through Zoom, like all at their own houses that Alan Arkish edited together. So yeah, this whole disc is just a labor of love. And you can tell it's like a big sigh of relief because this movie was dumped, never had a proper theatrical release, got a VHS release, and then they thought they had lost the elements and that it could just never come out. And Kino found them. They found them. Yeah, I guess Alan Arkish didn't really do much theatrically after this, eh? It was just mostly TV. No, he did a movie called Heartbeeps, which completely tanked his career. Yeah. And then he did Caddyshack 2, and that was pretty much it for him as far as theatrical movies. That's a shame. That's a shame. Because, yeah, I mean, he's a guy made Rock and Roll High School, you know? It's unfortunate. And then this, and it's like. Alan Arkish is on a letterbox, and sometimes he reviews his own movies, and he's like, "Uh, half a star for Caddyshack 2 out of five. (laughs) He's like, there's uh, only one caddy, no shack. What was I thinking? <laughs> That's good. I love a sense of humor in filmmakers about their own He films. became a big, big TV guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm just uh, looking for his list so of much credits television. right now. It's crazy. And he tells an amazing story on the um, documentary on the disc. So, like, Lou Reed is in the movie. And he said that afterwards, Lou Reed did an interview in Cream Magazine where he said he hated Get Crazy. It was terrible. And... Alan Arkish was like, oh, man, that really depressed me. 20 years later, he walks into a restaurant. Lou Reed is there. They catch their eyes. Lou Reed comes up to him and is like, Alan, I'm so sorry about what I said. I didn't mean it. People love the movie. I don't know what I was thinking. And Lou Reed said, if you ever need any of my music, give me a call. I'd be happy to. And Alan Arkish said that he was working on a show called Crossing Jordan. And they use like oh, wow. dozens of Lou Reed songs, some of them that never get cleared. And Lou Reed cleared them all for him. How about he, like, that? Actually, like stayed to his word. Wow. That's that, awesome. That's nice little story. Nice story there. Yeah. Now you don't have to watch a 75 minute documentary. Just skip it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for catching me up. All right. Next one. Beavis and Butthead do America. I'll say right off the bat, I was never a Beavis and Butthead guy. Yeah, I was. I will admit I didn't watch as much as of the of them on TV because I was a little young at that point, And I just like the MTV. Yeah, I would have just been a little young. At I that think point. we were probably but a little too def- young. Yeah, yeah, I definitely was like. I couldn't wait to see this movie when it came out. I think just because it was animated and, you know, just the idea of two guys named Beavis and Butthead was hilarious to me as like a nine-year-old or whatever when this came out. Um, Always had a lot of fun with this movie, though, and it's never been on Blu-ray before. So I know a lot of people are excited about that. I think it was supposed to come out a while back and it got delayed. Um, but here it is. I mean, it's not much of like a special edition. Well, it is. Mike Judge did a new commentary it, it, track, yeah, which wasn't. They got some new things on it. So yeah. an attempt was made. Uh, Mike Judge, a libertarian himself. <laughs> I know, I know. And I mean, I can, I love, have a lot of fondness for Mike Judge's, you know, early I love King of the Hill. Space, I've been but, watching it over yeah, the last King like two years. Fun. It is so funny. It's great, right? And his movie stuff always worked for me. I'm a big, big Office Space fan. Loved Idiocracy. Even Extract, I find, like, it's not perfect, but it's got a lot of stuff in it that I really love. Um, I don't know. Yeah, his sense of humor, I just, I really, I really vibe with. And I think Beavis and Butthead Do America is a pretty successful attempt at bringing two characters who largely, like, I mean, it was just... A show. It was just like segments where they sat in front of a TV and they and would like riff on, on music, music videos, videos that were playing. Yeah, so it's not really like it's a good. It's a good. There would be sketches. There would be like little, I think, twelve minute sketches sometimes. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. But like, what you didn't have like a whole. It wasn't like the South Park mm-hmm. movie or something where you could draw off of fictional stories or something. So I think they do a pretty good job in translating that to like more of a a longer feature length story. I feel I need to sit down and rewatch it because I think I was like you. It was something that was very transgressive, yeah. and I wanted to check it out. And when I finally did see it on VHS, I just didn't get it. And then maybe I was just not in the right headspace. You know, I wonder what I think of it now too because I haven't seen it since I was like really young well like a teenager probably at this point and yeah i thought it was really funny that i wonder if yeah we would find it that transgressive now but i don't know i know people a lot of people still have a lot of love for this movie. i've so heard that it like it works really well as a movie for something that like for all intents and purposes should not work well speaking of stuff you liked as a kid have you been checking out the new south park specials that are coming out mark <sighs> no man i've fallen behind on south park I, I know <laughs> ever I since we talked about for... it last time and you're like i love south park you know i haven't got into their anti-trans stuff though. i know that's the thing it's hard to once you go down that road it's kind of hard to stick with it i definitely don't agree with a lot of that stuff that they're doing I mean, it'll always have a special place in my heart, but I can't say I've been that motivated to keep up with the new stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So moving on, we have a new Scott Atkins film. I should have like a, a noise or, you know, like the Willis watch or a saying for uh, Scott Atkins films because he puts out a lot. Oh, uh, man. He'll have another one out in a few weeks. Oh, I've already Jeez. seen it. And I like it a lot. Um, this one, I mean, I am not by any means a Scott Atkins head. I know you are, but uh, I checked out this movie basically just because of the, the, the you know, the gimmick that it's one shot it's called one shot and it is in one shot or you know it looks like it's in one shot and it's a great one shot movie oh yeah it works really well i mean so there's some very um brief special features on the dvd and what they look like they did is they didn't actually hide the shots and like cuts to black or um you know wipes when you move the camera really fast they would have the actor you know take the position they were in when it cut and they would have like um, an overlay on the image and the camera to make sure it looked exactly the same before they like restarted. The f- that's how they did it, which is a wild way to make a one take movie. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's that's insane. Yeah. Just like thinking about the logistics of putting this together uh, are crazy. And the director me. did say that like he also didn't want it to be like little two minute shots that he wanted it to be like 10, 15 minute takes when they were doing. it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I would say this definitely captures the sense of playing like a first person shooter game a little bit to me like better than any movie ever has i mean it's basically all takes place yeah in this one location it's like a guantanamo bay-esque sort of like black ops site where these insurgents kind of come in to try and get this high value target and man the action sequences are just super super tense you know and the yeah, way they work really they work well really and well yeah. people need to consider how hard it is to pace something out like that yeah when you're dealing in one take there's so much stuff that could go wrong timing that could be off and it just works here and at the end when it becomes um you know fist fights uh it works as well which is you're like how are they doing this like how is scott Atkins yeah. doing this? and i love the stuff where he's like sneaking around trying to avoid being seen is really interesting and the way they cut from um yeah like what the heroes are doing to what the villains are doing like really seamlessly they kind of like fluidly go between me and mark have talked about this a little bit but i have two issues with the film one i'm not a big fan of tactical action films yep like yeah, you know it's definitely very ones. military sort of yeah centered. i think this one does it well like i never got bored with it in the way that it was presented because it is so tense and number two oh man i am tired of middle eastern terrorists <laughs> That's like, the thing. I mean, they ugh. try and change it a bit, I guess. Yeah, by but having it's more of like a both sides villains. kind of thing. It is, yeah. And at the end of the day, yeah, the basically the high value target 
you know, they kind of lead you to believe that he's innocent for a while and that it's like the Americans that are doing the wrong thing. And Scott Adkins and they're saying, is kind like, of caught the Americans in the middle of are all doing this. this the wrong way. Like they're torturing people. But then later on, it's like, oh, but are they doing it wrong because he is guilty? And it's like, oh, no, that's bad. I know. And then ultimately, I think they just try. The problem is he try, I think they try and have their cake and eat it, too, so to speak. Whereas it's like they want to recognize that, like, there is a lot of conflicting sort of there's a it's a complex issue because they do bring up the fact that he was radicalized because his own family of america of america and i think that's a valid point to bring up but then they still also kind of want to demonize him in the end eventually so it just kind of makes it too muddled it's too too wishy-washy at the end when they could have just taken a harder stance either one way or the other frankly and it could have just had more impact. and there is a setup in the movie where you're like oh it looks like they're going down the right path in how they can kind of tackle this and they don't go there and it's like what i know because you've got ryan Philippi in this uh you know our, our vod <laughs> action vod action star don't ryan, ryan Philippi. you're gonna make me say it that ryan Philippe. <laughs> and he kind of plays you know the villain he's like the racist american operative yeah torture works kind of guy yeah like his family was killed in 9-11 so he's like super personal he's just like a total racist but they don't really yeah they don't really you know go into how problematic he is as much as you think they are everybody has their right points right exactly it is this sort of like yeah it works you you want to be like 9-11 happened because of u.s intervention (laughs) you know like come on guys and that's the thing i actually just coincidentally enough recently i finished watching this um doc series on netflix about 9-11 and like the war on terror and how that was like a turn i think it's called turning point the war on terror and that really goes into how complex the whole issue was and everything and then so you watch something like this it just feels so simplistic but at the end of the day it is an action movie and i think for the action movie things that it's trying to do it does it really well so it gets a lot of points for me for just being like a really oh it's an excellent action movie it does what it's setting out to do perfectly like if it was i don't know the chinese i probably wouldn't have any issue (laughs) i mean it's a torture stuff that I think bothers me. It is. It's like whenever you're going to bring in this sort of like Guantanamo Bay-esque or like Abu Ghraib. Because you want to be like, like, America's wrong. It's been proven that it doesn't work a million times. Yeah, exactly. You're like, okay, so you're actually going to make some sort of commentary on this. And then when they don't really or they pull back from that, it feels a little disappointing. So yeah. Like it's bad, but it sometimes works, exactly, right? Exactly, right? Like, no. It's like, mm, that's not maybe the right stance to take, but... I can't hate on like how well put together this movie is. And I expected more from a chicken soup for the soul production. <laughs> right. They're really ramping up their releases these days. Now the next release. Oh, people love this movie malignant. And I feel like Mark, you're, you're a contrarian, right? You didn't like this one very much. James Wan horror. No, film? I like this a lot. No, I actually like this a lot. This is one of my favorite horror movies of oh, the year. You're going with the crowd. That's not what I expect from you, Mark. No malignant is uh, delightful. I think it could have been a big hit if it had been released not in a pandemic. That's the thing. They kind of botched the release of it, Warner Brothers. And yeah. why didn't it come out during Halloween? Like it came out in September, right? Well, that's the problem. They released it during like festival season and it just like nobody. And I know it went to theaters and HBO Max and everything. But yeah, it just didn't get any press, which is weird because I mean, James Wan is a huge moneymaker for Warner Brothers based on the Conjuring series. And I just don't know why they underplayed it so much because it immediately got like 
great fan reaction all like online everywhere people love this movie and yet it seems like warner brothers just didn't care about it so i mean it is out now it's on disc it's not like they've done anything special with it though it's just kind of your standard release but this is definitely one of the best um horror movies of the year and i think i love it just because it's so refreshing to see james wan just back in his sort of like anything goes sort of creativity um of his like early stuff because i feel like his stuff has gotten a little stodgy over the last few years yeah i'm not a big fan of his like conjuring style but i also think that a lot of uh our thoughts about what james wan does gets mixed in with the productions that he produces no i agree i agree i think he's taken more of a producer sort of franchise position now than even as but a director like aquaman but... is bananas as a movie like See, that I confess, is not yeah i confess i haven't seen that because i'm not look, that is not james guy. wan playing it safe that movie is wild well that's good like... it's nice to see that he's still bringing that i just always loved his energy so much and i feel like that was i mean uh, fast and the furious 7 that he made has that james wan energy too okay okay well then maybe i'm you know not giving him enough credit i just you know thought he got swept up a little too much it's mostly just the conjuring universe which i know largely he's just a producer you on. kind of want to be like james can't you be i don't know a more involved producer <laughs> like why aren't these movies better? yeah just you know they're just like so generic and lazy and for a second you might confuse malignant as being just another one of those conjuring universe movies but it is not at all it is definitely like a play on a giallo but like that doesn't even like dig into like the half of it it's just so james Wan needs to make a full-on horror action movie he clearly wants exactly. to. That's what makes this one stand out for me is how he blends like action, crazy action well, elements. Well, just turns and... into an action movie in the last 20 minutes. And you're like, oh my oh. God, it's like the Matrix in the last 20 minutes. And I love it. And yeah, the, you know, it's not spoiling anything, but Gabriel, the villain of this film is definitely like a new horror. I love that me. when he pops up, everyone who sees it for the first time is like, holy shit. Because you oh, know, know what right? it is. You know what the twist is coming. That's the thing. It's not really a twist necessarily. It's the way the twist the is way executed. Out. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you, yeah, you know it's gonna happen. I mean, it's right there in the title, frankly. But yeah, you know it's like a um, basket case type situation. You know, like there's not a big twist there, but it's the way it's presented. The way that when you see the thing on her back, and it's like it's like a practical monster. Oh yeah, no, I love it all, and I actually I watched it a second time recently because I had to like write a bit about it for like an end of year thing. And it worked even better for me. On oh, yeah. When I saw watch. the second time, once you know all the pieces, you see them coming into place. You're like, oh, I love oh, this. This perfect. is great. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites, um, which also brings me us to the next film here, uh, Broadcast Signal Intrusion, which is also one of my favorite horror movies this year. Have you seen this one? This one's great. It's from uh, directed by Jacob Gentry, who's one of the directors of the signal back in the day i think he did one of the southbound so he's kind of like david bruckner he did like a bunch of segments of horror anthologies and he also makes synchronicity like a low budget sci-fi yeah i thought that recently. one was okay when yeah it came which out. i wasn't crazy about this one is really interesting though it takes place in the late 90s about a, a tv archivist who's like a widower he's lost his wife and he basically comes across this this thing that happened like several years prior where there was like a pirate intrusion on a broadcast where it was just this like shot of some like creepy dude in a mask just like mumbling weird things sounds great and he basically yeah it becomes this sort of like conversation-esque thing where he tumbles down this like paranoid rabbit hole trying to like figure out who was behind this and then he thinks it's connected to his dead wife and he basically it becomes this descent into madness um, and it's really, really affecting. It kind of starts as sort of this like Ringu sort of like redo, but then it just goes and does its 
own thing. And by the end, like I wasn't expecting this movie to be as emotionally affecting as it was, but it was like, I think in comparison to something like uh, the night house, which came out this year. And I know a lot of people like, and think is emotionally affecting. I was a little bit lukewarm on that one. This has like, <laughs> how can they afford two houses? I know, right. <laughs> this has way more to say to me about grief in a horror movie than the night house did. Uh, and I think people shouldn't sleep on this movie. This is I by will far check one it of, out. Yeah, really I've always do. been a, um, you know, Jacob Gentry, all those signal guys. I wish they could have had like a real breakout. I saw synchronicity was okay. I'm really tough on time travel I think movies. you'll like this one more than Synchronicity. This one's a little, it's a little more polished. Not to mean that makes it oh, better. Oh, right. But I'm looking like, at my review of Synchronicity and I was like, oh my God, why does it look like Blade Runner? Yeah, that so was my- this has got its own vibe. This is just really well-paced, well-plotted, and just has like really nice scares, but it's just got a real good emotional through line that I think helps it big time. And the lead actor, who I'm blanking on his name right now, is excellent in this as well. Uh, So yeah, highly recommend. I think it's gone a little bit under the radar uh, this year, but people are definitely discovering it. It got solid reviews when it came out. And I would say, yeah, if you are looking for like a horror movie this year that you might not have seen, this is a good one. Uh, have you seen Jacob Drenchery's My Super Psycho Sweet 16 trilogy? No, I have not. I haven't made it down that road, but I, I'm intrigued. MTV I'm intrigued. original movies. I know. I've, I've always heard about them. I've been intrigued, but I just haven't uh, watched well, them. Well, one day Vinegar Syndrome will put them out on a Blu-ray triple pack. Exactly. 4K, and then I'll watch, and then everybody $120. Will watch them. Yeah. Then they will be accepted. And finally, we come to our blind buy. Now, I have to admit to you, Mark. Let's end off on this great so note here. <laughs> I read this completely wrong. The film is called America Insurrection. I thought it was about a world where anyone that wasn't different was demonized by the government. So, like, if you were white and straight, you had to go into hiding. That is not what the movie is. It is the opposite of that. Yeah, see, that's what you would think it is because the way this film has been marketed is very much in the vein of those like super right wing extremist sort of like action movies. Yeah, like there's that one that James Remar did like years ago where it's like this whole thing where it's like a dystopian future where anybody who's like Christian and white or whatever is like basically like hunted down and like put in camps or whatever. So this, it makes it seem like this is that, but this is in fact the opposite of that. It's like a left-wing version of that, where in a few, it basically imagines a future where as say like the insurrection attempt earlier this year, if that actually was successful and there was a coup and that basically right-wing extremists took over America and anybody who was of a different race, sexuality, anything, creed, religion was basically rounded up and barcoded and tracked and basically kept track of so it's like this dystopian totality it's basically handmaid's tale exploitation (laughs) like it's trafficking in that style and feeling it's a chamber drama with a bunch of characters in a cottage and them struggling with this new future yeah well that's the thing it's not as explosive as you would expect a movie like this to be i would love an exploitative like action version of this that's movie. the thing like paramount who is releasing this on disc is selling it like it's an action movie but it is not an action movie at all it very much is a drama i mean it's initial initial title was the volunteers it wasn't even called a American insurrection initially and it is directed by a guy who's just done like low-key indie dramas for the last decade or so and this very much is in that same vein it's about a bunch of people who are hiding away 
in a house and trying to like make an escape to Canada. I love how much they talk about Canada as being like sort of like the promised land in this new society. It's like, hey, uh, guys, I hate to break it to you. As if we're so much better, you know, you, you know who Doug Ford is, right? But uh, yeah, he is the premier of uh, the province that we live they in. They play it like, uh, yeah, Canada is this utopian like society. I'm like, okay, sure. Heads made like... tales. I can't say the title. Does that as well. Oh, like everyone's they? trying to escape to Canada. Okay. Well, so yeah, they do. So yeah, they're trying to make a break. But basically, it's mostly them just interacting in this uh, house. I will say it gets really melodramatic. Uh, I don't think it works because where it ends up landing is like, oh, this is what you're going with. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the end was this script written in the 60s. Right. (laughs) And like, I love the only people that survive are kind of the most racialized and like, you know, parties, which which is great. But it just it feels so calculated a bit the way it's written in in a way that's like it's trying really hard the guilt to of like, who i am is what really destroyed me and it's trying i feel like it's trying hard like it has such an explosive almost exploitative premise but it's trying so hard not to be exploitative and to take it like really seriously and make this like a real serious thinking person's movie when i wish it almost had a little bit more spark to it you know what i mean like i won't say it I mean, it's two hours long, which is way longer than I would have expected. And it didn't necessarily bore me. Like, I was definitely engaged the whole time. I wanted to know where it was going. But then when it ultimately gets there, you're just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's not really the outside that destroys us. It's the inside, Mark. It's the inside, which is obviously very expected. Um, there's a whole sort of, like, gay panic story thread Oh, that well, that's the main story it. in the last act. Yeah, where... which is really... I can see what they're trying to do with it, but it doesn't And really... I'm sure people feel that way today as well. Yeah, it just feels, like, kind of laughable to me the way it comes off. Um and then the whole thing where, you know, they, they're basically hiding out in, like, a right-winger's house, and they've got him chained in the barn <laughs> Can we teach him? Is he also uh, a exactly. human being? Exactly. And so, like, everybody, it shows that, you know, all the white liberal people just want to kill him, and maybe they're just as bad as the others, right? Whereas, I think we like, need to the, take a hard stance that, like, you know, some people are bad sometimes. Exactly, like, right? But then like, you've I don't got, believe like, in the death penalty or anything like that, but all media is always trying to, like, two sides it. And it's yeah, like one right? person's opinion, which is just hateful and terrible, exactly, is right? clearly the wrong one. <laughs> like, I know. But then they have this whole through line where, like, the Muslim lady who is, like, one of the lead characters, she's trying to, like, perhaps build a me and you are more similar him. than you yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. And they get to a point where they do farm, like, a connection, basically. And it's like, I get what you guys are doing, but it just plays so, like, it plays like a movie from the 90s or something that's just. It doesn't feel as topical or relevant as I think they think it does. So I don't know. I'm glad I watched this one. I will say I am glad I watched it. It's it's hilarious to me. Maybe not hilarious, but it's really great to me how hard they went with this concept in certain areas. I mean, so many people at Walmart are going to be tricked oh, by the cover no, of this movie. Right? They're really trying to sell it like this weirdo action movie that's like, you know, but it's like a left wing version of this. But I don't know. I think this is the kind of thing that also gives like right wingers more fodder to be like, oh, liberals think they're so like, you know, absolutely. And it's and I've already seen it. You see user reviews online being like, oh, this is like liberal crap. They say they're so enlightened, but they just want to kill us all and everything. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can see how it's just not going to be taken the right way. But 
I will say it's kind of like a fascinating experiment for a movie to try and do something like this. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it though. It, it would not get my blind buy seal. I'm not approval. sure. I'd, yeah, I'm not sure I'd recommend to blind buy it. But if you happen across it on a streaming service. I would say maybe give it a chance, see what you think about it. Where's my left-wing action film? Like the Red Dawn of like That's progressives. That's the thing. I, I kind of admit, maybe just because I've watched too many of these bad movies, that I wish it were a little more over-the-top and exploitative and in-your-face. Actually, there is a movie like that. It's that uh, Dave Bautista movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bushwick? Is that Or no. Is that... Bushwick, yeah. Yeah, I never saw that one, but I, I know what you're talking that about. That one, the premise is that like the South tries to invade like New York. So then, yeah, I guess you've got that for that purposes. But if you want sort of like a weirdo sort of chamber drama about this kind of a weird dystopian society, then, you know, here's... I just thought the characters is. were too flat. They weren't like interesting enough yeah, the actors, for me to care the, about what happened to that's them. That's the problem. The acting is a little flat across the board uh which definitely hurts it i mean it's not badly filmed though or anything it's got some style to it it just it really hinges on the acting and the characters and i think it doesn't it falters a little bit in that regard so that's it for the 100th episode of the bay street video podcast that's it wow we've done a hundred of these things tell your friends review us on itunes and apple podcasts please we'll make sure number 101 is even better even bigger and better We'll probably do like a year-end wrap-up sort of thing at that point. You know, we're getting near the end yeah, of the year. Yeah, that sounds good. We can pick some of our favorite things, limit it down, because ain't so many things coming through I Bay know, Street in the next I few know. weeks. So, and yeah, we're still going to be open at the store, but just for curbside only right now until, at least until cases go down a bit or we all get our booster shots around here or something. We're just trying to play it super safe and try and get ahead of this a little bit right now. what you want to watch. These movies and many more are available at your local video store.